But I want to begin with this reality. Is, is life ever hectic for you and a little bit crazy? Am I the only one that, that faces life going, yeah? You ever wish you had one of these for life? You know, that you could have a control panel, right? Where you could turn the rheostats up and down. You could maybe slow things down if they got too crazy. You could shut off sections of your life if you needed to so that they would go away. You could turn them back on later, you know? Maybe you got a control panel for your boss, right? Where you can, you can flip the switches and make him go away or at least make him be a little nicer, you know? Maybe one for your spouse and never mind what you want to do with that one. I don't want to... You know, there may be one for your kids, you know, that would make them more obedient. And, you know, that dial's broken, by the way. That doesn't work. You know, but you ever wish that you just had just a little bit more control? Things seem completely out of control. Well, the reality is, for an awful lot of humanity, we do come equipped with something like a control panel. It's just that you can't see it. You can't see it unless you have a mirror, because it's on your face. This is the thing that, that's really creepy, isn't it? That's way too, maybe that's, maybe that's, no, not any better. Let's just go with that. How's that? This is a thing that we try to exercise control over our world with. We absolutely do. Am I the only one who does this? You ever get manipulative with that thing? You know? Because maybe you don't have a control panel for your spouse, but you do have one of these for your spouse, and you just kind of want to make sure that they dance. The, and you know where their switches are, right? You say this, and you know they're going to do that. So if you want to really push them off balance and make them flip out and be all out of control, all you got to do is bring up their mother. Boom! You got it! You know, they're not thinking clearly anymore, right? Or all you got to do, you have the thing you know what the thing is and you can pull the switches and you can be in control and the words just they man they just fly out of our mouth for the purposes of controlling the world around us at least to the extent that we can none of us are in control of tsunamis none of us can control the economic market but maybe i can be a little bit in control of the world around me if i control the people around me if i can just make them love me or make them leave me alone if I can just get them to think certain things, then, then they'll do what I want. And so I'll make promises I have no intention of keeping. Or I'll lead people to believe things that, that you know, it's not true at all, depending on the meaning of the word is. Right? And we work to manipulate and control all over the place. And what God is going to tell us this morning is give us a great big danger sign and say, whoa, you are not in control. There are words that are meant to be in control of us, but they are not spoken by us, but by another. The voice that first spoke things into existence in the first place. That's where the control lies. Or at least it's meant to. But we so often try to wrest it from Him and become God ourselves. This goes to the very nature of the fall. And so this warning comes to us, don't be like that. 
Don't be, and we need to come again and again to the mountainside and sit down with the Master and let Him speak His life-blessing, life-altering words into our heart that we might come under His control instead of our own. So we climb the mountain again. We settle into the teachings of the Christ as He continues to unpack to us the will of God. This morning, we're hearing from this. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not swear falsely, but keep the oath that you have made to the Lord. Okay, so this comes from the Lord. This comes from the book of Leviticus. It's an interesting jump from what he has been talking about because up to this point in the sermon, as he's been unpacking the law, he's dealt with the Ten Commandments, at least two of them. Right? Don't murder, that's number six, and don't... Don't commit adultery, that's number seven. The way that he addressed divorce is actually a subset of number seven. So up to now, he's been talking about the Ten Commandments. He's unpacked the Sixth and Seventh Commandment with us. And what we've seen him doing is saying, okay, that commandment was given to shape the kind of people you are and build a particular kind of society. That's what it was for. Okay? It was meant to develop a particular kind of personhood, so that when you related to one another in groups, you would live like this. And if what he's doing is he's building his kingdom. He's, he's becoming king. And what kings were meant to do is proclaim the will of God into the people such that they became obedient to the king, meaning obedient to God, the king. He's exercising his reign over them, building his kingdom and saying, this is what it will look like when I'm king. This is how you will behave. And so he's interpreting the law to us. He's done two of the Ten Commandments. Why did he start there? Because the Ten Commandments formed the foundation of the entire covenant. It was a kind of summary statement. When God gave those ten words, those ten commandments to the people, He was saying, okay, this is going to be who you are. And it's going to be half about me and half about how you treat each other. And this is what it's going to be to be in covenant with me. Jesus began there. But here, he's, he's read the Ten Commandments and shown us how to read them, and now he moves to Leviticus 19, because that's the most obvious place to go. <laughs> it's a weird place to go, to be honest with you. Leviticus is responsible for killing more attempts to read the, the Bible all the way through than any other book in the Bible. You know, people are reading along and they go through Genesis and it's filled with great stories and it's wonderful and exciting. And then they get to Exodus and the first part of that is still filled with great stories and it's exciting and then it slows down. And it starts to get a little bit boring, but people push through because it's going to get better and then it does not get better. Then they hit Leviticus. And it's all about rubbing blood on your earlobe and your thumb and your toe and sprinkling it on that and throwing it on this and how you're supposed to treat this wart and what, what is this book? You know, and it, so venturing, it, it seems to me anyway that there are places that are more obvious to deal with in the law. Maybe he could have gone into Deuteronomy or something, but no, he goes into Leviticus. Why is he doing that? What Jesus is doing here is he's showing us that his read of the law works everywhere you go. Every single one of these laws is never meant to regulate the outside behavior. It's meant to permeate your character and help you become like God. And so Jesus is showing us a way of reading not just the five laws that He interprets for us, but the whole law. 
a way of being with God and reading this and saying, okay, if I did that, what kind of person would I be? If I kept that obedience and I didn't do it grudgingly and I didn't do it resistingly, I did it from a whole heart, a complete heart. I mean, my heart's broken, but I don't want it to be. What kind of heart should I have? And so Jesus is showing us this is what that looks like. He goes to a relatively irrelevant law. A small one. A peripheral thing. So he unpacks with us this. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not swear falsely, but keep the oath that you have made to the Lord. Now, and then he will end his teaching on this law with these words. And it struck me as I was preparing for this sermon just how potent and powerful those words are. What he's just said is, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything more than this comes from evil. He's saying this law, this peripheral side law that is written to the Levitical priesthood, this law will show you the broken nature of your heart. How? Because of the way you use your control panel. Because it was never meant to be a control panel. It was meant to speak truth and nothing else. Even hard, costly truth. And so if you want to see how evil your heart is, all you have to do is see how you talk when you're running late. When you get there and, and the excuses that start flowing out of your mouth. Well, I would have been here. Or how you behave when you want something from somebody and you're pretty sure they're not going to give it to you. And so you start giving them all of the manipulative reasons why they have to. Or how you behave when you're angry and how you speak when you want to destroy or control or manipulate. Or... When you use this thing as a control panel, anything that comes beyond truth, the truth that you know, and you know good and well what it is, but you don't want to give that. Because if you do, you won't get what you want. In fact, it might cost you substantially. Anything beyond the truth is coming from the wretched brokenness of your heart and your desire, honestly, to be God. Because it's God who runs the universe. It's God who deals with your failures and your mistakes. It's God who sees to it that you receive good and not bad. It's God who's in control. But when we try to control, it reveals to us just how broken we truly are. So as Jesus begins, He's going to interpret this law to us and show us that this law is meant to address our hearts, our true natures, who we are. But the first thing He does is deal with the way that it's used brokenly, right? When He says, you've heard that it was said to people long ago. Why is He saying that? Well, through this whole thing, He's in argument... Oh, I'm sorry. He's in argument with, with the Pharisees who will say that the most important... I'll go ahead and go ahead. Uh, the most important thing is those words right there. Keep the oath that you have made to the Lord. Now, they're going to read that. And the way that that's supposed to be read is, if you made an oath, you didn't just make it to a person. You made that to the Lord. And so if your word said it, you do it. You do it. And one time your heart purposed, but maybe it didn't. Maybe you didn't intend to do it at all, but you spoke it. And if you spoke it, you need to realize you spoke it to the Lord. But there's another way of reading that, isn't there? 
Keep the oath that you have made to the Lord as opposed to the oath that you didn't make to the Lord. You see, that's how these guys read that. The people long ago. The Pharisees have taken up the law and they're interpreting it. And as far as the Pharisees are concerned, there are words that you can swear that bind you. And you have to do it. And then there are words that you can swear that don't bind you at all. And you don't have to do it. So, like over in Deuteronomy 24, he gets more thorough with the same concept, and he really chews out the Pharisees for it. And he says, Woe to you, Pharisees! You say that anybody swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple, then he's bound by his oath. Or anybody who swears by the altar means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gift on the altar, that then they're bound by the oath. You hypocrites! Which is, which is more important, the, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? The altar, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred. It's all sacred. All of it. If you speak it, it's holy. Because it's to the Lord. There is no such thing as a non-binding word. Because it's all spoken in the presence of God. And so when, in, when and by the way, when Jesus is going to interpret this, He's going to say, no, you don't get to play those games. I think it's a little bit important that we know what it is he's dealing with. In our world, the only, pl- the only place we run into an oath is when you're placed under oath in a courtroom. It's the only place. And it's, what it is, is it's I've put myself in jeopardy. If what I speak isn't true, then I'm in danger. But of course, for us, in our minds, that's all a legal danger. They could come after me and charge me with a felony and maybe put me in jail or give me fines and they can punish me. It's all legal. It's not that way at all in the ancient world or in most of the world today. Oaths were interactions with the spiritual world. When you speak an oath, what you're doing is you're speaking a provisional self-curse. Okay, So if I blow it on my end of things, may this curse come upon me. In a lot of the world today, this is still a reality. I I have a missionary friend who told me about a time when a a guy had stolen something and he was kind of put on trial by his village. And he was saying, look, if I took that, may I bite off my tongue? I didn't take it. He had. And as he's walking home, he tripped and bit off the tip of his tongue. He didn't bite the whole thing, but he took off a chunk of his tongue, immediately went back and said, they're going to get me. The spirits are out for me. You know, and I, I, I'm sorry, and he gave it back, and he paid restitution, because the curse worked. He thought maybe he could dodge the spirits, but they got him. See, that's the belief system in most of the world. You know, you get out there, and, and they know what an oath is. We generally don't. When the Pharisees are engaging, they're saying, well, there's, we don't do our oaths with the spirits. We do our oaths with Yahweh. But the question is, do I come into contact with Him or not with the words that I speak? There are words that I can speak that set up a channel of blessing or cursing between me and Yahweh, but there are things that I can speak that's just between me and you. And if you misunderstood and you believed me when you shouldn't have, hey, that's on you. But Yahweh didn't care about it. doesn't matter. Jesus is saying, yeah, it does. I simply cannot interact with the idea of God without interacting with God. Because He's not an idea. He's always present. In Him we live and move and have our very being. There is no word that you ever speak that He doesn't hear. 
And there's no word that you speak he doesn't take seriously, even if you don't. Okay? So what kind of heart should I have? What's being challenged here? What's being challenged here is the question of who is God? Do I get to control other people? Are they my property to use as my means to get my ends? I want this other thing, and I can, if I speak to you in a certain way, you'll get me that thing. Right? I want to sell the car. I bet the devil in my head that that car will run another 100,000 miles. I know good and well it's got a blown gasket. I know it, but... You know, I'm speaking the words that will get you to buy it. I've packed the thing with sawdust so that it will run off the lot. Right? But it's going to burn that up, and then it's going to burn up, and you're going to have a lemon. Why did I do that to you? Because I want your money. This is flowing from evil. It's flowing from the brokenness of my heart. Well, yeah, but I took that car on a trade-in, and, and i got to move it somehow. Otherwise, I'll get hurt. I'll lose that money. Which is more important to you? Your money or the nature of your heart? Your money or your soul? If I tell the truth, I'll lose. Better to lose with your integrity in place and the image of God within you than it is to win and lose that. So that's what Jesus is doing here. He's addressing them. They think that, no, there are things that you can speak and God doesn't care about it. But He says differently. Listen to what He says. He says, but I say to you, don't do this at all. Okay? What the law did is it said, look, God is, is kind of condescending to human beings. This practice, by the time that Moses comes along, they've lived in Egypt for 400 years. And this practice is deeply ingrained into the people of God. And both the, the holy oath and the unholy oath, the manipulative oath, it's all through them. And so he says, look, to drive this out, our first step is you have to start meaning what you say. And so if you speak it, do it. But Jesus is saying, look, in my kingdom, people won't need to practice this. Because they'll simply speak the truth. So don't swear at all. Don't swear either by heaven because it's God's throne, or by the earth for it's God's footstool, or by Jerusalem for it's the city of the great king. Meaning you're swearing by these things that people think an awful lot of, and they, and they, they assume that you've tied yourself up with God. But you're saying, well, no, I swore by Jerusalem, but not by the temple of Jerusalem. And so I can get out of it. And he's saying, no, all those things involve God. In fact, the earth and everything in it is His. So there's nothing here you can swear by where you could avoid God. Every word you say is in the presence of God. Period. And, so, and he says, don't even swear by your own head. Why? Because you lack the power to make even one hair white or black. Meaning you're not in control here. You're not. So there's two truths. God is absolutely unavoidable. There's nowhere you can go to flee from His presence. So there's nowhere you can go and behave like not Him and He doesn't see it. You can't be manipulative outside of His presence. So when you're being manipulative and you're, you're, He's saying, you're wrapping me up in this. If you swear by Jerusalem, you're tying God up into your bad behavior. And if you don't intend to keep your word and you swore by it, you tied Him to your sin. 
said, just don't do this because you don't want to harm God. And the other thing is, you're not in control here. If you can't even control... Now, he didn't know about just for men, I guess. You know, he, yeah, he did. His point is, is you're not in control of even the little things in your life. How much less are you in control of other people or meant to be? You were never meant to manipulate anybody. Look, have you ever been manipulated in your life? Anybody ever tried to control you? Now, there's at least one of us who's saying no. Man, you have lived a charm life. Actually, she's very sarcastic, I know. No, you've been manipulated. When you were manipulated, were you loved? This is counter to our purpose entirely. We were designed to be loving creatures that allow the other person to be who they are and make their own choices so we don't seek to control them or dominate them. Not even for their own good do we do that. Because I'm not in control here. There is a God, and it's not me, and I'm never supposed to behave like that. The, the thing is, imagine with me that, it, that it's nighttime and you could step out and look at the stars. What this really comes down to is that as you look at those things, do you feel cold and alone or comforted because you know the one who lit the fires in each of them? Because if there's nothing there but blackness and emptiness and large exploding balls of gas, and that's all you see in the night sky, well, no wonder you're trying to control everyone and everything. You're alone here. You only get a certain amount of time and it's going to burn out soon. And if you don't get what you want, well then, (laughs) you won't get what you want. So of course you speak to control and dominate. Of course you do. You're all on your own. But if you can stand beneath that sky and you can look up into the heavens and say, my dad made that, and my dad loves me, And no matter what this world throws at me, He'll go through it with me. And I don't have to be afraid of anything. I might hurt, I might fall down, I might even die, and it'll be okay. But the one thing I'm not going to do is try to be my dad. I'm going to let my God be God. Let Him be in control, because the one thing I can't do is pull even one of those down out of the sky. I can't touch any of it. It's His creation, not mine, and I am so small here. So I will control no one. I will dominate no one. I will manipulate nobody. Because that's not what I'm here for. I'll leave it in His hand to providentially guide and control the world in my life. And I'll trust Him. So He says in your speaking, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Just tell the truth. If I do that, it'll cost me. Yeah, it will. There'll be times that people will not perform like you want them to. There may even be times when they attack you or hurt you or shame you. If you tell the truth, it will cost you. Maybe you won't be able to sell the car. Maybe you'll lose a bunch of money. Maybe you'll go bankrupt. Better to be bankrupt financially than bankrupt in your faith. Tell the truth. Because everything else comes from evil. And when you use words that way, you are keeping the evil within you burning and alive. You are hurting yourself. You are producing more and more evil within yourself. It both comes from and generates wickedness. Don't do it. It's not who you want to be. 
It's not who we want to be with each other. Jesus is establishing His kingdom here. And we can speak the absolute truth to one another and be safe in this place because Jesus is among us and He is in control. So the question that comes to us is, do I trust God enough to be out of control? And by that I don't mean, do I trust God enough to be chaotic and rebellious and crazy? I mean, do I trust God enough to leave it to Him to bring about outcomes and consequences and let Him be in control of it? And I see the bad consequence coming and I'm afraid. Do I still trust Him in the face of that? To either deliver me from it or go with me through it? The control panel will tell me. It'll let me know. It'll let me know whether I trust Him or not. How are we doing with this? Is, is Jesus king of your control panel? Does He run it or do you? Do you look into your life this morning and you're like, man, I'm filled with lies. I'm a broken person and I don't want this. It's Jesus who can heal you. Let Him do it. And if you want the prayers of the saints, we want to pray for you. If you look into your heart and you've got pain there and it has absolutely nothing to do with what we talked about this morning, but you're hurting and you want the prayers of the church, church wants to pray for you. It's a praying church. Let us do it. And if you're not a Christian, this morning is the day to begin your walk with Jesus. If this morning you're subject to the invitation of Christ, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing?